Little Wing is now streaming on Paramount Plus. I'm in a period of emotional upheaval. Is that all the oh, I don't care crap? A little adventure. Where are you going? I'm gonna steal a bird from the Russian pigeon mafia. Let's do it. Goes a long way. <laughs> Starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Life can hurt, but life is sweet. Little Wing, rated PG-13, may be inappropriate for children under 13. Now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG-13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. I'm very excited because my guest this week is a hypnotist, a broadcaster, and an author of self-help books. He is the wonderful Paul McKenna. Well, Paul McKenna, hello. Twiggy, hello. It's a long time since I've seen you. And you, you know, you, you just look amazing. Have you got a painting in the attic? I mean, you just don't age, do you? you well, I do. You are... You're very kind. I'm sitting in front of a very big window, so God has given me this beautiful sunlight. <laughs> <laughs> He's being very kind, but that's very sweet. I was trying to, Lee and I were talking, this, he sends his love, by the way. He said he thought the first time we met was in New York, but I think we was. met you before that. What, what? I, I think, um, in fact, my got... earliest memory, yes, was that you were doing a show on Broadway uh, and Lee was directing it and we came to see you. It was brilliant. And oh, that then was we went, the first time he was We right. went out he... for dinner. But and I, I think the last time I saw you was at the Pride of Britain uh, Awards. Uh, it would be more than 10 years ago. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I haven't seen you so for ages. So Lee, Lee gets the star prize because I thought we'd met you before in London. Yeah, it was, we were doing, Lee directed me in, in the show If Love Were All, which was yes. the coward um, Gertrude Lawrence piece. And it was through, I think, Julian Schlossberg who produced That's it right. with us because we yes. co-produced it. And he's a mate of yours, right? Well, he is. And, and, his, and his wife, um, she's a wonderful Merin. lady. Merrin. She does, uh, she's psychic. And uh, right. basically, I got introduced to her by Ronan O'Reilly, uh, the founder of Radio Caroline. And it, um, I was in New York uh, playing on Broadway myself. And he said, ah, Paul, you got to meet my friend uh, Merrin. And, uh, and it was one of those things where you just clicked. I thought, oh. These guys are amazing. And uh, he said, oh, he said, um, I've got a production you might like this evening. Uh, Twiggy uh, the, and Lee, they're doing this thing for me. And so we came along, loved the show. And I remember we went out for dinner afterwards. And I thought, That's right. this is great, isn't it? It doesn't get any better than this. I mean, in New York, just seen a Broadway show, out with the director and the star. I mean, that's <laughs> it. Living the dream. But, Julie, I mean, you're right. They're, well, Julian's a brilliant producer. I mean, he's one of the top. Broadway producer, but he's mm -hmm. also one of the loveliest men around, actually. Oh, and Merrin man. is divine. And I did know she was psych. She's English, you know, but yes. she's lived out there for many, many a moon. Yes. Now, I, I, I just thought we'd met, but we, we met after that in London because I, I have yes. memories of us meeting in London. Yes. But um, so I was really interested because I obviously I know a lot about what you do and what you've done. But, you know, when you start doing research for things like this, other things come up. And I love the fact that your first job, you were 16, right? Mm, and was. you were a DJ on Radio Top Shop. I didn't know there was a Radio Top Shop. That's brilliant. Was, yeah, what there was was... What um, happened? In, in, well, in the in the fashion store, the top shop, the main fashion store in Oxford Circus, they wanted a, a DJ, so you know, give it more of a sort of a discotheque feel. But the guy that um, took the job said, "I'd like to make it sound more like a radio station." So he'd, he'd come from radio, and I was just, you know, I was a kid, and I wandered in there in my teens, and I'd, I'd you know, I'd started listening to Capital Radio. I wanted to be a DJ, and I said, "Do you mind if I sit and watch you?" And then eventually, they, you know, they said, "Look, on Saturdays we need somebody to fill in." And so while my 
um, uh, friends at school and later college were stacking shelves on a Saturday. I was sitting playing records surrounded by pretty girls in the West End. And, you know, literally, uh, I thought it doesn't get any better than this. And being paid for it. And being paid. That's hysterical. God, can you be, but I, I, I was talking to my daughter the other day who's grown up and we were saying we can't believe Topshop isn't there anymore because uh, it was so much, certainly part of her growing up. I yeah. mean, I, I used to go with her because when teenagers wanted to go shopping, you always went to Topshop. Yeah. And it was like a day out, wasn't it? And you just can't believe... I know, and you would you would see like Boy George had a concession in there. You would see all kind. You'd see you know people from show business would go. Had a certain glamour uh, about it, and and, you know. And I remember all the various fashions and new romantic fashion happening. You know, in the sort of early eighties, so everyone (laughs) wanted to look like Adamant or Simon Le Bon. You know, (laughs) that's true. So, how long did you do that for? I did that for a couple of years, and um, and then I what I did was I set up my own company to put um, DJs into different stores. So I put a DJ in the Virgin store and in HMV oh, and, and in shopping centers. And, and I kind of then decided I didn't really want to you know, run a company. So I, I, I really actually enjoyed playing records. And so I think we had a lot of these pirate radio stations, land-based pirate radio stations in London. There was Radio Jackie. There was an oldie station called Radio Sovereign. And then there was the, the stations like Kiss, you know, that, that started up. And uh, it had this really kind of cool underground feel about it. And then Radio Caroline came back in the, in the mid-80s. And I was 20 years old, and I applied to go work there. It was, it was probably one of the best adventures I've ever had uh, because it was all uh, because it was illegal, right? You know, you had to go out to this massive Icelandic trawler, 18 miles off the coast, you had to sneak out, and and then you could play any, anything you wanted. And uh, there was this extraordinary atmosphere on board the ship. You know, it was a it was a really great sense of camaraderie, and also it felt a bit. You know, clandestine and naughty because it's against the law to broadcast on a pirate radio station and this wasn't just a little station this was covering all of Europe That's so you had huge. huge millions of listeners and I'm a kid and they let me you know play whatever I want and say whatever I want it was fantastic it must have been a dream come you, you were very entrepreneurial though to set up all those other stations I mean where did that come from do you think you know, I, I don't know. Um, I, I've, I've always asked myself this because um, I suppose I was told at school in one of my school reports, I'd never amount to anything. I mean, can you believe it? You can't say that to a kid nowadays. And quite right, too. And, you know, a lot of people would be crushed by that. But, you know, I'm the sort of person that goes, right, I'll fucking show you. Right. Quite and so right. something in my personality, and I, I, can't, I don't know where it comes from, says, right. Oh, you tell me I can't. I'm going to do it. You know, and I, I think it's true uh, for a lot of people. The more yeah. you're told you can't do it, the more it makes you determined that you're, you're going to show them. And so I, I suppose that's sort of where it came from. Uh, and even though, yes, there is an entrepreneurial side to what I do, I actually see myself as a content maker as a, or as a, you know, as a therapist or an author. You know, I, I like um, rather than actually because I've run businesses over the years and you end up policing other people. And yeah. some people are great at that. I find I just found that a bit of a drag, you know, that putting out fires every day. I would rather be sitting writing or performing or, you know, um, doing therapy or coaching or something like that. Did it ever get really rough out there in, at Radio Caroline? I mean, sea-wise. Oh, God, yes. Yeah, I mean, you know, sometimes, you know, I, literally, so within half an hour, so, well, imagine a couple of hours of arriving, and you get on board this massive ship, beautiful ship, right? But everything smells of diesel. You're in the Merchant Navy, essentially. It's not like some luxury yacht, you know. And you know, we can. <laughs> I, wouldn't, the... I, I wouldn't like it. <laughs> I did, I, you know, and I thought this is. You know, I'm a kid, right? So this is great. And then suddenly the generator packs up, right? And it's dark, and you see all these other lights of other ships, and that we can see them, they can't see us. And suddenly I thought, oh, what have I done? This is really scary. And one night, um, another ship did gently bump into us and they were so embarrassed they gave us a whole load of fish um, um you know the rainbow warrior used to come alongside us and if they if they could give us some fuel and stuff like that so it was, it was i can't tell you how exciting it was i say but you've got to be that age although yeah. but well did you ever get really rough seas i mean because that's yeah. what i because i'm terrified of the sea and well ugh, well the, yes so the thought the, of a rough it, sea it, it, yes there were rough seas but this because this was actually a very sturdy boat and so uh it actually 
it did pretty well in the storm, I have to say. But uh, some of the other ships didn't, you know, and over the years, some of the other pirate radio ships sank. But this, this one still, still, it still exists. It's, um, it's in, um, in a river uh, in Blackwater. Is and it? yeah, and it's been, by, by the enthusiasts, it's been um, completely overhauled. And, you know, the studio is exactly the same as it was in the 1980s. And you could go visit it. And, um, and once a month, if you're from the radio station, you can go back and, you know, spend the weekend on the boat and play records, play radio stations. So that is brilliant. It's great fun. Yeah. That is brilliant. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Actually, what I haven't asked you, what tea are you drinking? Well, actually, I'm, I'm, I'm drinking some sparkling water at the moment. But that, I, you're allowed. Do you like tea? Oh, oh my word! My day, one well, of my favourite moments, Twiggy, is is that first cup of tea in the morning. Me too. Nice English breakfast. Work, you know, builders' tea. And that's one of the best drinks of the entire day. Uh, And I don't, I have maybe a second one very rarely, but I find, um, I I lived in America for a while and I, so I got into the habit of drinking coffee, but I found it made me too wired. I mean, I'm quite a sort of, um, I've got a lot of nervous energy. And I find that, you know, if I had a coffee, I'd be bouncing off the ceiling. So I can't drink coffee. It makes my heart palpitate. Yeah. yeah, yeah, (laughs) And actually getting tea in America, when I was over there doing the show when I met you and also I've been over there many times over the years lived there getting a decent cup of tea is impossible yeah. no, <laughs> in I a know. restaurant they give you a, a cup with hot yeah. water in and a tea bag on the side <laughs> I know <laughs> they get this you're British have this yeah, this horrible. god this horrible stuff that's it's just no it's not tea it's, it's not. um yeah it's almost like it's a, some sort of tribute act to tea isn't it I mean it, it's <laughs> It's absolutely. I mean, I mean, I'm sure that America. You know, it's the same with you know Americans think our our, our beer is is warm, you know, yeah. and because they know. they don't just have it cold, they have in the ice glass and everything. So it's different cultures. So it is. Uh, I know yeah. my my dear old dad who came from um, Bolton in Lancashire, he couldn't believe it when people start started having cold beer. You know, what's a bloody wrong with them? You can't have your (laughs) eel. You can't have your beer cold. He liked it room temperature. (laughs) He said the world's gone mad. So anyway, so you you were in Radio Caroline, Mm. then then what made you leave? Well, you... actually, I was quite happy to... I, I just thought it was the greatest thing ever. I thought, yeah. I, want to, you know, I want to do this. And I came ashore, and local commercial radio was booming by this stage. And so uh, I got offered a job, a very good job in local commercial radio, a morning show at a radio station called Chiltern Radio in Bedfordshire. Mm-hmm. And I did that for a few years. And then I, and I, what happened was one day I went to interview the local hypnotist. And I'd had a really bad day. I was stressed out. I'd broken up with my girlfriend. I'd had a round with my boss. I was in this apartment where I was living. They were keeping up with the noise. And I went off to see him, to interview him. And he said, look, um, <laughs> I think you need some hypnotism, mate. And I said, knock yourself out. You know, I was benevolently sceptical. Anyway, I sat back, relaxed, closed my eyes, and it was extraordinary. It was like all my problems just disappeared. I felt um, this real sense of inner bliss. I woke up after, I thought it had been two minutes, but it had been half an hour. And I said, I feel great. He said, you needed that. I said, have you got any books on this? So I borrowed a book from him. Yeah, and then I started, I I started hypnotizing my friends, you know, originally to quit smoking or lose weight. And then I'd be at a party and someone go, I'd say, oh, I'm really interested in hypnotism. They go, well, work on me. I'd say, well, let's find out, shall we? Close your eyes and relax. And then, you know, I'd have them up and dancing like a ballerina or shouting, I believe in fairies or something. And we'd all fall about laughing. I thought, hmm. There's a show in this, and I used to I used to do a disco on a Friday night in this pub in Cambridge, and I said to them, I got really interested in doing hypnotism. And went, we'll put a show on on a Sunday night here. So the, we, we advertised it, and the first night, about 30 people showed up, but I made a little show out of it, and you know, then the next week, oh, it was about 100 people. The next week, queues around the block. So I thought, right, I, I'm, I'm super interested in doing this. 
And just at that point, I got offered a job at Capital Radio in London, which is a big deal. And I'd, I'd, you know, I'd funny, what I'd done is I'd, um, I used to read a lot of self-help books. And I, I'd read one which, you know, talks about you know, planning for the future. Look at all your resources, what you have, you know, in terms of contacts, skills, you know. And, you know, where would you like to be? You know, what would you do? This was one of the questions. What would you do if you knew you couldn't fail? And I was walking down Tottenham Court Road one day, and I suddenly had like an epiphany. I went, hang on, Capital Radio owns a theatre. I make the promos that say, see Pink Floyd in concerts with Capital, you know, et cetera. And I thought, what if I go and see the big boss of Capital Radio, a man called Richard Park, and I say, look, do you, do you think I get a deal on renting the theatre, but then, you know, some promos to promote my show, a hypnotism show at a London theatre, at your theatre? And it was one of these destiny moments, and Richard sat back in his chair and he went, I'll back you, Paulie. And uh, I had to go to the bank and borrow, like, probably a year's wages. And so it was a big gamble for me. Very brave. Well, it's, you know, <laughs> the risk is the currency of the gods, I, I believe. And, and I, I put on a show in the first week, uh, we sold a few hundred tickets. And I thought, the next week, it was doing better. By the third week, the place was full. And so is that word of mouth? It was word of mouth, but also because um, I'd made, you know, these promos, these adverts about for my show, the DJs, on, the other DJs on the station who were my friends would slot it in. So instead of it getting played once or twice uh, a day, it was being played once every hour. So Amazing. I was being promoted as much as Michael Jackson or you two, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Great rate, great rate. Now you you make it sound like this guy hypnotised you and you yeah. found it amazing, and then you learnt very quickly. How, was yeah. it was it that easy to learn? Because in your again in your um, you know my research. It said that you work with a guy called Richard Bandler yes. in America. Yeah. So what happened? So was, was that after? Topshop and yes, it Capital was, Radio. It was. In fact, the book that I borrowed from this guy was by yeah. Richard Bandler, who is, you know, to my mind, he's the greatest hypnotist in the world. And he's um he he's a very, you know, unique sort of character. And what happened was I, I wrote a little pop book on hypnotism when I started doing some TV shows. Mm -hmm. And I looked in the reference at the back and I realized I'd reference Richard more than anybody else. So I went I must like this guy. And he came to London to do um, a seminar one day. And I watched him with the first few minutes. I went, oh, my God, this guy is brilliant. He was so clever and sophisticated in all his techniques and things. And, and, and very funny and, and irreverent. You know, I mean, he, oh, some of the things he did were, were, were like, the, a lot of the psychiatrists weren't, weren't laughing at all. Was, well, the rest was sort of, he was so funny. And... Um, <laughs> I, I went up to him and I said, um, at the time I'd just gone onto television, I said, I said excuse me, I, I do a hypnotism TV show. Normally clinicians don't like stage performers. You know, they, they think he gets the thing a bad name. And he says, yes, he goes, I've seen your show. And I said, because I think it's great. And so we just, <laughs> in that moment, I thought we're going to be friends. And so... I became, because I'm sort of a very compulsive sort of person. If I, if I do anything, I I'll immerse myself in it, you know, and, and sort of, um, you know, I can't just cook something. I don't really concentrate on the whole thing. It becomes a military operation. And, and so I, I then immersed myself in hypnosis and I wanted to learn everything about it. I wanted to practice it on everyone. And then one day... I just became more interested in that than being a radio broadcaster. And so um, I just moved at that stage to Radio 1, and, you know, which is the pinnacle of you know, anyone's radio career, pop radio. Mm -hmm. and, and I had to go. I just said, I went in to see the, the, the lovely boss of Radio 1, Johnny Bealing. I said, look, I'm terribly sorry, but I'm, I'm going to leave. He went, you've only been here six months. I went, <laughs> I'm off to become a hypnotist. He went, well, yeah, if that's what you want, Paul. And um, I think, again, taking a risk was a good thing because very soon, you know, I was on television, um, you know, m making people laugh with comedy hypnosis for a few years, which yeah. um, was you know, fantastic fun. But, you know, I left all that behind, you know, back in the 90s. Did you suddenly think I should be doing 
this for serious reasons rather than entertainment? Because it, it, they're two different things, really, aren't they? They are, yeah. yeah. So the comedy hypnosis is very entertaining. And, you oh, know, it's I lo- amazing. I mean, I, I can I, remember I, those shows. <laughs> you can't believe that you can make people do the things you made them do. I mean, well, they're, you know, they're all on YouTube. So, and I watched one the I other know. day. I've not seen it for 25 years. And we sat there, <laughs> me and my wife, we sat there and we were howling. We're howling with, with laughter. Um, you know, some of the, like, so there was this guy, this very cool looking guy, and I said, so what sort of music do you like? You know, and he went, I like rap music, mate, you know. I said, so you wouldn't uh, get up and dance to take that? He went, no, take that? Are you kidding? <laughs> Sleep. When you wake up, you will be the biggest Take That fan ever. You know, so what sort of music do you like? Oh, I like rap, don't you? And then we then take that start. He gets up and goes, Robbie, I love you! You know, and it's... <laughs> You can imagine we're all howling with laughter. So, so absolutely I, I, I still love it. It was great fun. But you're absolutely right, Twiggy. The two worlds are different. And mm. it is difficult to be taken seriously as a clinician, as a therapist or a coach, if you are making people, you know, jump around like a ballerina or a kangaroo of an evening. So there came a point just, um, it was actually soon after that, uh, that, that run I did uh, on Broadway in New York where I met you. Soon yeah. after that, I returned to the UK and I did some shows for a while here. And I thought, you know, I'm more interested. So I was also doing motivational seminars and teaching people how to become hypnotists and overcome problems. And I thought, actually, I way prefer doing this. So I quit doing the, the shows. And Why do you think you preferred that? Because the other one must have been more fun in a way. Well, the other one, no, don't, no doubt it's fun. And actually, do you know, there was a moment when I, I mean, because I used to tour relentlessly. It was up and down the country, or around the world, actually, at one stage. And one day, one night, I walked out and I thought, what's that audience worth to me? How much am I making? And I went, ah, if I'm only doing it for the money and not because I love it, maybe now's the time to stop. Plus, also, I don't, it was weird. I started doing these, as I say, these little motivational events with 20 people sometimes. And my promoter said to me, he goes, you know, you're filling a thousand, a thousand people in a theatre. Why, why do you spend the weekend talking to 20 people, cheering them up? I went, I love it. And so I found a new passion, which was um, to take people who were either down or broken or, you know, in a bad way, and over the course of a weekend, turn their lives around. And so my life then became about um, being a therapist and being, a, uh, I suppose, a motivational speaker. And also being, that sounds to me like you it's a healer. Yes, that's right. I mean, I, I, that's the other category, I suppose. So that must make you feel amazing. If somebody comes with a major problem and you can get them through it, it must make you feel amazing. Yes, it's the best feeling in the world when somebody who is really down, they have got no hope, they're depressed or even maybe suicidal, mm. and you're able to turn them around. That is, that's an extraordinarily good feeling. I mean, I and bet. it's... It's like nothing else on earth. But then sometimes it's just a simple thing. Like, you know, I got stopped in the street the other day. This guy pulled up, right? And he, he had his phone with him. And, he, and I thought he was going to ask for directions. He went, I can sleep. And he held his phone up because he got my sleep app. I went, well, that's great. He goes, no, no, you don't understand. I've had years of insomnia. I can't sleep. And I said, well, then you are the person I made the app for. So, um, you know, there's a, there's a famous Chinese saying, which is, if you want to be happy for an hour, take a nap. If you want to be happy for a week, take a vacation. If you want to be happy for a year, win the lottery. If you want to be happy for the rest of your life, help other people. And so I kind of live by that. That's, you know, but I found my vocation was from originally, you know, just wanting to entertain people, make them laugh. Now much more towards a life change of some yeah. sort, be it a big change or be it, you know, just a simple change, like I just want to quit smoking or lose weight. Amazing. Now, can anyone learn to be a hypnotist? Yeah, absolutely anyone can. In fact... It's um, not a gift that some people have that other people... Well... I've never quite understood how No, it no, sure. It's a skill set, and potentially it's an art, right? So it's some, something that's technical you do, but like a form of art, like painting or acting or photography mm-hmm. or anything, some people have a natural sort of artisticness, I, I suppose, is the way you might describe it. But I do believe that basically anything can be learned. The thing is, though, that some people, clearly because of their personality, their mindset, 
mm-hmm. are probably better at it than others. And mm-hmm. you could say that of anything from skiing to being a salesperson to being um, a dancer or, anything. you know, etc. Yeah. yeah, anything in life. So, you know, some people just, it's amazing. Some people, I mean, I'm sure you can relate to this, Tricky. Like some people look really good, but because they just don't have the confidence, they're never going to be a great model or yeah. a great actor or something like that. Whereas other people, they may actually may not be the most stunning looking person, but they've got something, some sort of self-belief and that makes them a phenomenal actor. Yeah. So when it comes to being a great hypnotist um, as, or therapist, hypnotherapist, you need to be fascinated by human beings and curious. You've also uh, kind of got to be a bit relentless and, and then also um, have some sort of uh, compassion uh, as well. Not necessarily empathy so much, but compassion. You've got to think, I, I really want the best for this person. Those, mm. those for me are sort of the, you know, some, some of the really important ingredients. Yeah. Do you, have you ever had people in your entertainment shows and now in your serious work that haven't gone, haven't managed to be hypnotised? Does that happen? There's a famous saying, uh, my dear friend, uh, Dr. Roger Callahan, uh, who's a brilliant uh, psychologist, he, he said, uh, he goes, anyone who says they got a 100% success rate doesn't have enough patience. <laughs> and so, you know, of course, I mean, occasion when I started out, you know, it was very hit and miss. Mm-hmm. What I do works for most people most of the time, mm. but it doesn't work for everyone. And, you know, sometimes when somebody doesn't get better, it can be very tough. I mean, it was an anorexic I worked with and, um, it was just, it was so sad when she died, you know, and I, oh. I actually took it very hard, you know, yeah, so, so, um, awful. yeah, it's awful. So, I mean, in some ways it's kind of unprofessional to get so upset about it because that's the difference between compassion and empathy. Mm. So compassion is, I'm going to do everything professionally to get you better. If you over empathize with somebody, you can get depressed mm. um, as well as them, or you can well, get must, upset as well as them. Doctors and nurses must have to cope. Hundred percent. I mean, this—that's the other thing leading into this. That what they've had to cope with this year. Yes. You must have. Have you been inundated with people because of COVID? Of you know how they're coping with it, how they haven't coped with it, how they've lost yep. people. You know. Yes. How do you um, cope with it? <laughs> well, actually, do you know, I've coped reasonably well, but like everybody else, I've had some days where I felt a bit down, you know, mm. a bit like, what's the point in anything? Mm. Um, and, you know, I think, frankly, if you hadn't had some of that, there'd be something wrong because the world's yeah. upside down. Or I've had times where I've just thought, I feel really tense or anxious or yeah, and I, I don't know I why. Had, I have days, I mean, listen, we're some of the lucky people, you know, we, we've got each other, Lee and I, we, yeah. you know, the hardest yeah. things for us, we're not seeing our kids and our grandkids, Yeah, which we now can do, which is lovely. But I did have days, most of the time I became a really good cleaner. <laughs> <laughs> I do I do a mean bathroom, you know. I'm very good. Very good. And I've really got into my knitting and my sewing, which I love anyway, yeah, and jigsaws. Yeah. But some days I'd wake up and I and I'm not I don't get depressed really. I'm very, yeah. very lucky, touch wood. Mm. Um but I I would get frightened, you know, yeah. that because I you'd think or you'd see something on the news that was mm. just, you know, about India and you think, Oh my god, this is so it's frightening. Yeah. Yeah. It's terrible. Yeah. I mean, I came through it and, you know, but you, there were days. So did you ever get days like that? Absolutely. And, 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 you know, I talk to lots of people online because I do, you know, webinars or I just yeah. talk to my friends. I think it's very important to have human connection. It's all, you know, it's all part of the building blocks of, of staying um, um, in a good place because, you know, loneliness is one of the cornerstones of yeah. depression. And so I think, you know, connecting with people is important. But yeah, there would be days when I would look, look at too much of the news and I'd go, crikey, what if I get sick? My wife gets sick. My mom gets sick. Yeah. What if the economy crashes? And I would catastrophize. And um, basically, I now just look at the headlines every now and again because news by its very nature you know is uh, emotive and they want to capture your attention and keep you watching or keep you reading so they're going to tell you worst case scenario stuff and i think unfortunately we've had a, a you know it's sort of in a regular um time as it were you go oh this incident's happened all oh, that's happened but when it's every day it's just relentless and when you think about it i mean one of the things i stop and think about is if i've got my health I mean, my mental and my physical health. If I've got friends, food in the fridge, roof over my head, and a purpose, not even a job, 
a yeah. purpose, then those are the major boxes. Then I'm okay because there are people in the world who you know they have very little, or they they've you know they've they've got real real problems. And so I think I think it's a sort of um, a sense of proportion. Even when you were talking about India, I mean, if you look at what's been going on there at the moment, we are very fortunate in this part of yeah. the world. We are. Well, I have to say, like you were saying, because at the beginning we were watching every news broadcast all through the day and it was just making us both so anxious and scared because none of us knew in the beginning, you know, you know, you were frightened to go out and and, and Lee and I are in an age category that you have to be careful, you know, we're getting up there. (laughs) So, uh, But what what we decided to do, we only which we still do, we watch the news, we hear the news on Radio 4 in the morning, Yeah, which is quite brief. Yeah. And then we would watch the 6 o'clock news for half an hour and that was it. We didn't. Yeah. We stopped watching the 10 o'clock news yeah, before bed because right. going to bed on, yeah. on those things, and I think so that true. was quite a good... And I agree with you. I think sometimes the media cling on to... The bad news a bit too much. Well, it's, it's, their, it's their job. But you know, I, I think know you're right. Well, but you know, you're so true. What you watch before you go to bed yeah. so influences. You know, if I start watching some action movie, I get all excited and I can't sleep. Or if I watch something really miserable, so do you know what I do now? I find something really boring, like um, some <laughs> show on, say, fly fishing on BBC Three or something, you know, and, and, and you know, something where the, even the way the, the narrator talks is sort of soporific. And I sit watching it, and, and it's almost hypnotic. It's like a bedtime story. I sit there and I go, this is so dull. This is fantastic. I'm going to sleep soon. I'm going to sleep so deep because of this. That's yes. so funny. <laughs> Yeah, we we well, it depends. But last last night we actually were catching up on Gavin and Stacey, you know, yes. the old which we missed the second series. Yeah. So that was a nice one to go to bed on because it's so sweet and so funny. Well, I, you know, I would say I've never watched so much great TV in my entire life because for two reasons. Firstly, I'm I thought you know normally I haven't got time, I've got time to watch this, or I start watching something, and I go, come on, get on with it, get on with it, and I've given up by episode one. Whereas because I go, well, I've got all day. And so, so I mean, oh, I, I mean, the quality of you know amazing drama that, that we make here in this country or mm-hmm. America does. And by the way, thank God for Netflix, Apple, uh-huh. Amazon, etc. Can you imagine if this had happened twenty years ago? You know, all we had then was our Motorola phones and the, you know the internet that connected really slowly, and you might be able to type a few things. To, you know, there wasn't. I don't. I mean, I moan about the internet, and I, 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 I don't. One wholly a part of me doesn't agree with a lot of the, the internet gives you know things like sure pornography for children you know children yeah, yeah. getting all that or the bad side yeah but on the plus side if we hadn't have had you know the internet and being able to see our loved ones you know yeah. i would talk to my i've we've got grandchildren of um, mm. six and under so we'd couple of times a week you you know go on and read a story or have a chat i mean they come in and out because they get bored but it meant you had a connection if if we hadn't have had the technology we probably would have only been able to talk to them on the phone if you know a landline yeah so that's the upside i suppose i think i think it is the upside i mean you know i'm uh, i agree with you there is plenty about the internet that is not good yeah. And, you know, whole, the whole weaponization of social media and yeah. the way people are so mean to each other. I know. Uh, Why has do been, people is, do that? I don't, well, they're in their own... Do you, you understand know, that? Why do yeah. people... You know, you read these stories of, of, you know, the, like the, the young singer in Little Mix, I think the band was, and she left because she was just getting so bullied. And I don't yeah. quite understand it. I, I think that some people are in their own sense of pain, their own sense of self-hatred. And so, you know, they can, in the you know, privacy of their own uh, loft on their keyboard, you know, suddenly feel important and take out their anger on somebody else. But so, it's, yes, it's a form of bullying. And, and I think, you know, there's, there's, that's very sad. But then also, you've got, you know, these, all these amazing um, groups of people that could connect. You know, if you are fascinated by a particular, you know, interest, say it's, I don't know, train spotting or it's knitting or it's... Um, oh, I love I knitting. Knitting, there you go. <laughs> there'll, be, there'll, be, there'll be specialist groups where you can discuss which kind of stitches you use or something, I don't know. And, I'm and... not giving up my secrets. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> so so that's, that's one of the things is, um, you know, there are so many of these groups where, where whatever your interest is, you know, military history, you know, for me, radio, you know, something I left behind many years ago. But there are all kinds of people from the days when I was a broadcaster, you know, who post pictures or recordings or things like that. And it's, it's actually wonderful in terms of, it's yeah. a bit, it's, you know, in the old days, we go, should we look through our photos? photos? Oh, marvellous. Now you can, you know, really bring to life some fantastic um, nostalgic moments. So, I mean, yeah, I, well, I, I was, you know, me, with me do, doing this podcast, which, you know, this all came to me at the beginning of the first lockdown and I'd never mm. done anything like this. Mm. It was actually my daughter's idea because we'd gone out to lunch with some girlfriends and at the end my daughter said, oh, mum, you should do a podcast. You, you and your friends chatting, it's so much fun. Anyways, then I was approached by somebody else if I'd like to do it. And I was a bit nervous because I'd never done it before. But it but it is so lovely to connect with people. And But then doing my research, you know, now you just go into Wikipedia or yeah. YouTube and you can pick up on anybody, basically their life story and yeah. what they've done and what they haven't done. In the old days, you'd have to go to the library. Do you <laughs> remember right. that? Doing research, <laughs> you'd have to go to the library and plough through millions of books to try. No, I know. You um, well, even things like holiday snaps, you'd have to take them into Boots, and a week later, you'd get them back. Nowadays, you take a picture on your phone, mm-hmm. and it's in phenomenal quality, and two seconds later, you can send it to all your friends. I know. And say, the only sad thing for me, because I remember, I'm, old, I'm older than you, but I, growing up, mum and dad always had a photo album. And they've and we did when our kids were little. We we've, we've still got photo albums. When I did I did a, another show in New York, a big musical, and I've got all the pictures from that in a photo album because mm. that's what you did then. And mm. there's going to be a whole generation now who will never have a photo album. Well, I suppose arguably their photo album will be Instagram or will be yeah. their phone. I mean, the other day. I just I was scrolling through my wife. She's, we were looking at pictures. We were going back over the last sort of few years. Yeah. And I was going, God, our life is fantastic. Now, of course, by virtue of the fact you want to capture the great moment, or you know, there is a certain class of person that feels they must photograph their food and send it to their friends. I, mean, I don't know what that's about, but, but that I've is they're obsessed with it, right? And, and I, I was know, going through, I've never I was got going, that. <laughs> we were going through and going, look at that sunset. Oh, look, we were laughing there. Oh, my God, that was... You know, and, and all these great moments. And suddenly seeing them as I was scrolling through the phone, I got quite a sense of overwhelm. And um, so I think... And obviously, we're, in, we're entering a different time now. This digital age that we're in uh, is about to accelerate exponentially. Oh, yeah. and, and, you know, there will be, you know, <clears throat> of course, there's going to be all kinds of amazing uh, innovations, um, you know, cures for, for diseases. Oh, um, God. Yeah, yeah. yeah, you know, we will get to um, be much more comfortable, live a bit longer. Certainly your grandchildren, Twiggy, well, they will be in a whole new world. And oh, I know. Well, even now, my, my little Joni, who's sick, you know, she can turn the television on. She can yeah. go over to Netflix. She can, yeah. she can get hold of my phone. And I, I, <laughs> unbelievable. I know. They're so savvy with it. And, of course, oh what's going to happen is computers and... Um, so, basically, humans and computers will merge um, in the next sort of 10 to 20 years, uh, maybe even sooner. And you will have a hybrid species. You'll be able to directly connect your brain to the cloud. And uh, I know it's going to be extraordinary. Now, some people are terrified by this, and some it people are very scary. excited. Yeah, I mean, are I think you excited by it? Probably. I am. But you know, if we look at artificial intelligence at mm-hmm. the moment, it's being used to either spy on people or sell to people. So its yeah. values that it's sort of learning, you know, mm-hmm. are all to do with sort of manipulation and suspicion. And and so I think we've got because. Even um, uh, it will get to a point, even though this is arguable, but some people say where it will be like a human being. So uh, it has feelings, does it then have rights, this sort of thing. And it's when it, because what's really interesting is unlike a machine, like a traditional sort of robot, the way we, uh, we'll program it to do this and that, the artificial intelligence will be able to, what it wants to know is what it doesn't know. And then it starts to think and does it become sentient, at which point, if it's merged with a human being, you've got a new species. So wow. it's an exciting time. I think, you know, we're not going to, it's not going to be happening just yet. But, um, yeah, could it be, could it turn into Terminator is, is kind of one of the concerns. <laughs> <you know? laughs> Good old Arnie. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> I'll be back. Yeah. <laughs> 
going back to your hypnotism, I know mm. you've hypnotized quite a lot of famous people, right? Mm. I read that you Rob Brydon was yeah. frightened of flying. Yeah. I am a bit. Maybe I should <laughs> come yeah, and have if you a want session. To come over. Um, did you yeah. cure was he really terrible i mean he didn't yeah. i mean i'm not i go on play well i haven't for the last year and mm. a half obviously mm. but i travel i've yeah. traveled all my life but yeah. i'm always very tense and if it wobbles and bounces i yeah. absolutely have a cold sweat sure and my daughter's worse than me in a way can you actually cure that feeling sure yeah it's a, it's a fairly easy one to do i mean well you don't have to tell me i don't want you to give away your secret no, no it's not a secret <laughs> i mean basically what i do is um is so people that are scared of flying what they tend to do is they even before they fly they make scary movies they make scary movies in their head. And mm -hmm. so they, you know, I, so there was, I was a rock star I worked with years ago. And I say, so if I'm going to fill in for you for the day and I'm going to be scared, how do I do it? And you go, well, I, I imagine I'm getting to the airport, even before I'm there. And I say to myself, this is going to be bad. And then he checks in and he imagines the door to the plane closing. Chunk. He then says to himself, I can't get out. Like you want to at 30,000 feet. Mm -hmm. But anyway, and he imagines the plane taking off and it filling with smoke and everyone screaming, crashing, and then his daughter going, where's daddy? And I said, God, if I had that horror movie playing in my head, I'd be scared. No, because I think about, I have a different movie. I, I imagine sitting down, relaxing, glass of wine, a nice meal, a movie. And I think about where I'm going. Mm -hmm. So basically, all day long, we make movies in our heads and we say things to ourselves yeah. that create our feelings. And what a hypnotist does is changes those, really. And so uh, I, I, you're right, I have helped a lot of people who are well-known, but and of course, so those those stories get reported because it's an interesting story. Is it different for you working with somebody if they're very famous? Not really. Like Rob Brydon I mean, and Ellen DeGeneres. I read that you yes, helped yeah. her quit smoking. quit smoking. Yeah, I mean, it's for me, it's not because um, I mean, the only time it ever was, and um, the only I got utterly starstruck early on. This would be back in the 90s, David Bowie. Now, this would oh, never yeah. happen today. In fact, you know, it doesn't matter who sits in front of me. You know, the president can sit in front of me. I mean, it doesn't matter. So I just, I just focus and do my job. But in the, I sat there, you know, this is in the early 90s, and, you know, this called David Bowie wants you to help him. And, and, I, <laughs> and I sat there, and instead of thinking, right, bam, focus. I just, in my head, was going, it's David and so I just became like some idiot fan. And yeah, he was lovely. He was very... He was, he was lovely, He was brilliant. Man. And he, oh, he was so cool. I just, mm. I also just couldn't stop staring at him because he looked like he just walked off a movie. He's like, is it, you're in a movie, isn't it? I mean, it's mm. surreal. And you know, it's funny, uh, Sanjeev Bhaskar, you know, the wonderful yeah. uh, comedian and actor, yes. uh, who is, by the way, in one of my favourite shows, Unforgotten. Sanjeev um, was saying to me the other day that he says, because um, I... I, I when I, you know, do my podcast, I ask people, one of the questions is, you know, have you ever been starstruck? And he said, oh, because Roger Moore, right? And he said, it's funny because I said, yes, I was again with Roger Moore. He says, I think you regress to the age when you were really impressed by them. I said, exactly. I said, first James Bond. He goes, yes, me too. And I said, suddenly I'm 10 years old again. Hey, Roger, you know, and... Uh, <laughs> And I, basically, I, I love the stories so that people come out with. They go like, Bill Bailey said, um, who was it? He goes, Chrissy Hind. He said, he, she was in the audience one of the gigs. And, he was like, and afterwards, he said, when she came towards him, he said, my, my voice went up about 10 octaves. Went, oh, very <laughs> nice to meet you. <laughs> and, and Liz Hurley said, she had this brilliant story. She said, oh, she was, it was Sean Connery, Sean Connery. I said, well, what happened? She goes, well, I just said this really stupid thing. I went, go on. She goes, he says, yeah, it's nice to meet you. She goes, you sound rather Scottish. <laughs> That's brilliant. Yeah, so That's starstruck so is... Um... Well, my, my starstruck was Fred, Fred Astaire. Oh. He was my hero and I got to meet him. You know, to meet your hero and they turn out to be... I'll tell you a little bit of the story. I met him, I was promoting my first film in LA and um, they asked if I wanted to meet. So I was 21 years old. And they said, would you like to meet a star? Would you like to meet a star, Twiggy? <laughs> and I went, oh, my God, I'd love to meet Fred Astaire. And it went very quiet because they thought this 21-year-old wants, you know, Fred at that time was like 70, bless him. Yeah. And they said, you don't want to meet someone younger? And I said, no, not really. He's my hero. And they said, well, it's very difficult because he's retired and he's very private. I said, 
fine. I would never intrude on anyone's privacy, but you asked me and he, I love him so much. Anyway, went back to the hotel, the phone rings and there'd been a lady in the office who'd overheard the conversation and she'd worked with Fred and Ginger on all those amazing movies and she called Fred up and he invited me to tea. Oh, God, I, I've never been so nervous in my entire life. Do, do you know, I, I, I could literally sit all day and just talk showbiz stories. I mean, mm. obviously some, like, I, I love hearing, you know, like a comedy showbiz story about, or a wow, kind of this happens sort of moment. And, you know, sometimes it's just in the minutiae. They'll go, well, I just like the way that, you know, we had tea and we did this and then we talked about that. And, you know, ba- I've decided, basically, I am in love with show business. And, yeah. Well, um, mostly. I mean, I've been in the business now through modelling, acting, singing, dancing, whatever, for, oh gosh, I hate to tell you how long, since 1966. It's a long time. <laughs> and in that time, I've met amazing people, mm. worked with amazing people, met people like Fred Astaire, worked with Robin Williams, you know, worked with David Bowie. And across the board, in all those years, I think I've met two people in our business that weren't very nice. Ooh, can you name them? No. Okay, do you know? I think well, one no, one of them's not with us anymore. Right. It was just I don't think he meant to be. I, it was somebody, and I went up and said, I, "Oh, I'm a huge fan, and I I love you, and I love blah blah film." And he, instead of being gracious, which yeah. I think you should be, and say, "Well, thank you, that's nice of you," you yeah. know, because you know. Yeah. Uh, he said, oh, God, he said, you know, don't do that. Don't embarrass me. Don't embarrass yeah, well, And I, I went completely bright red. Yeah. And I just thought that's such an ungracious way to behave. Well, it, I would it, never it, behave like that, I have to say. <laughs> and I'm sure you wouldn't. No, well, I hope not. I think everyone's allowed a bad day. You know, you can just be a bit... But, um, no, I used to play... We used to play this game when I lived in Hollywood. Me and Simon Cowell used to play this game where we would collect stories about who were the best and the worst celebrities and we compare them. <laughs> and, you know, very often, if you talk to a flight crew... Uh, they yeah. will tell you, and they, they'll, oh, yeah. usually, they'll be, and again, I won't name the people, but there are several people whose names come up every time as, oh, and, as horrible, and just, um, <laughs> you know, and just they treat, they treated the staff so awfully, and then there are, are people who are, you would, you would not expect, who they go, oh, perfect gentleman, or she was wonderful, she was so gracious, but you know, everyone's, I suppose everyone's allowed a bad day, and there are these terrific, True. terrific stories, one of my favourite stories of, of course, you know, there's those words no famous person should ever utter, which is, don't you know who I am? And there's the great story about Shirley Bassey, who I'm sure is lovely, uh, is at Heathrow yeah, Airport, is, and she, she gets into an argument with a person, uh, the chap, you know, uh, checking her in, and she says, don't you know who I am? And apparently he said, excuse me, excuse me, there's a little old lady who doesn't know who she is. <laughs> with covid this year all right i mean because you can't do your one-on-ones with people or can you now i can't i work and do them through the screen i don't know i can yes as a therapist i can work with people uh but i can't do the big groups and uh in person yet well you don't do the stage what i do is i do these uh, big uh, motivational events so they're we call them edutainment so they're not they're not some of them are science medical but some of them are very much laughing, motivating, you know, uplifting. But, um, no, do you know, I know what I'm like. And I, th- I thought at the very beginning of the lockdown last year, I thought I need a routine because mm-hmm. I don't want to be sitting on the couch watching Netflix. I don't want to drink at lunchtime. I don't, you know, I, I yeah. want to like, treat this like one big vacation. Um, so I, you know, I get up, I walk the dog, I go make some lunch, I'm going to learn about something. Like, so some of my friends, you know, they, they thought, <clears throat> I'll learn the guitar or a new language or something. I'm yeah. going to, uh, going to write a, uh, another book, I'm going to, I'm going to do stuff. And um, we got some gym equipment, put it, put it in the office, you know, things like that. Now, of course, good days, bad days like anybody, but I would say overall, what kept me sane was having a template and a routine. Mm, and, and there were days when I thought, because see, I, I mean, normally I just get up and I attack the day and I'm a competitive person. So I think, I don't care how well I'm doing, I'm comparing myself to everyone else. Right, yeah, and I'm on the phone to my agent, <coughs> etc. Now, because the rest of the world is on vacation, more or less, apart from mm. obviously the frontline workers, etc., um, everyone else can't work, as like we okay. usually can. I go, 
well, there's no point in me over-competing with everyone else. If they're not over-competing, I'm not over-competing. And so... But presumably, because you're a writer, did you did you catch up on stuff that you'd kind of thought, I haven't got time to do that? Oh, absolutely. Because your books are hugely successful, aren't they? Well, thank you. Yes, hugely. I mean... Hugely. I, I know, I, I actually, uh, funny enough, um, uh, I, I realised, because I started getting contacted by you know, TV, radio and print um, media to do, could, could, have you got something to help us sleep? Or have you could you do something for people gaining weight during lockdown or, or you know, who are stressed or whatever? And I went, absolutely. So I thought, actually, this is a good thing. I feel I've got to do something myself. So I started making videos or doing conferences, you know, for doctors and, and, and nurses and, you know, technicians, frontline workers, mm. and, and also for, for people from all sorts of other walks of life. And so over the last year, I've had an opportunity to really study what the uh, the pandemic has done to the mindset of people en masse. Because we don't just have a biological pandemic, we got a psychological one too. And so I am, I'm just working, I, what I've done is I've created a system which reduces people's stress and anxiety, increases their confidence, improves their resilience, and then their motivation. And I think right now, a lot of people need, if not all four of those, at least one of them. Yeah, and I so, agree with you. so that's what I've been doing with, with part of my time. But I must confess, there has been rather a lot of box set binging and I'm not going to feel guilty about it because I've never enjoyed television so much in my life oh good well it's been an absolute joy to talk to you Twiggy it's always a pleasure I say well when we're all allowed to kind of love to well it's slowly yeah. opening up I'll, I'll text you my number and then because yes. I've got yours it would be lovely and catch up and we, t- we can talk about lovely Julian our mutual friend we, we should call him <laughs> Listen, thank you so much for taking time oh, to talk to me. Not at all, Twiggy. When they allow everyone to meet properly, we should catch up properly, in, in face, not just virtually. No, absolutely. <laughs> love to you, love to Lee. All the best. Bye-bye. Gosh, that was fascinating, chatting to Paul. I could talk to him all day, actually. I've never been hypnotised, actually, but I'm quite tempted because of what he said about flying, which is not my favourite thing. So I might be calling him myself. (laughs) Anyway, I hope you enjoyed it as much as I do. Amazing stories. Have a lovely week. Bye. If this is your first time listening to Tea with Twiggy, please do remember to tell your friends. You can also subscribe for free on your podcast app, and listen to all my previous guests. If you want to connect with me, I'd love to hear from you. You can find me on Twitter at Twiggy, or you can find me on Instagram at Twiggy Lawson. My thanks go to all the people that have helped this podcast happen. Many thanks to James Carroll and all the team at North Bank Talent Management. Thanks to all the team at Stripped Media, including Ben Williams, who edits the show, my producer, Kobe Omanaka, and executive producers, Tom Wally and Dave Corkery. The music you can hear now is my version of Waterloo Sunset by The Kinks. If you'd like to hear the whole song, you can find it and all the other songs I've recorded on iTunes and Spotify. So check it out. I look forward to you joining me for my next episode. So see you then. Bye. just heard a stripped media production.